Good morning, or good day. Welcome to Salem City Club. We're really glad that you decided to spend part of your day with us. This is our first post-election program and our last for 2020. The program committee is planning programs for January through May of 2021, filling out our 54th year. In January, two programs are planned. On the 8th, we'll hear from three Oregon Support Court Justices. And on the 22nd, we'll learn about how wildfires might affect our water supply. As it's our last program for 2020, I'll remind you that Salem City Club is a nonprofit organization. Memberships and donations are tax deductible. We hope you'll consider City Club if you plan year-end giving. As a nonprofit, City Club depends not only on financial support from our members, but also time and energy. If you think you might like to plan programs or serve on our board, please call or email the office or email me at president at salemcityclub.com. City Club would not be able to present programs without the generous support of our supporting business sponsors. They are KMUZ Community Radio, Lugene Fulbert Graphic Design, Pioneer Trust Bank, Rich Duncan Construction, and Virgil T. Golden Funeral Home. And with that, let's get started. Here is our program lead, Cindy Condon, to introduce today's program. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Sharon, and thank you for the introduction. Good afternoon to everyone. I'm Cindy Condon. After a fall lineup of all election coverage, it is a pleasure to present a different program today, combining issues and art. The year 2020 in fewer words. A remarkable year is coming to a close. The program committee decided a reflection on 2020 was in order. And who better to do that in the limited time we have available than poets who often use fewer words to make a point. Very different from some of our other guests. Poets harness the power of words to capture moments and emotions. Today, sit back and soak in the words of our distinguished panel of accomplished poets who live amongst us. We have with us today, Mark Jansen, Mike Strelo, Jean Kendrick, Marilyn Johnston, Mike Schuler, Ada Molinoff, and Clem Stark. And with that, I turn it over to Mark Jansen, founder and coordinator of the Salem Poetry Project for opening remarks and to read his work. Mark? Thank you, Cindy. Yes, my name is Mark Jansen and I coordinate the Salem Poetry Project. If you uh, are unaware, the Salem Poetry Project is a weekly poetry event. It happens every Thursday at seven o'clock. We started back in January, 2016 at Frozation. And then we moved to the Barrel and Keg. And then a few years ago, we moved again to the Ikebox. Uh, early on this year, when the pandemic hit, we went dark for about two months. And since June, we have been on Zoom uh, virtually. Each evening is uh, includes a featured reader 
who presents between um, 25 and 35 minutes, followed by the infamous open mic where anyone in attendance can uh, get up in front of the mic and um, read three poems or five minutes, whichever comes first. For information about the Salem Poetry Project, we have a Facebook page with information about both our events and then other poetry themed events in the area. Um, I brought a poem to share with you um, this afternoon. Uh, 2020 has been very difficult for me creatively. Uh, creatively. It, uh, the pandemic hit right in the middle of me trying to write a book length manuscript. And when I had to start working from home, I had to recreate my um, creative process from the beginning. And then once it ended, uh, the manuscript uh, completed, then I've been trying to recreate that, that, creative, that creative process again. So the poem I'm going to read is not about the pandemic, it's certainly not about the election, or even about 2020 specifically. Instead, it's about kind of the extraordinary normal everyday things that I keep on cataloging in my, in the, in the back of my mind of things I have not done in a very, very long time. And it's also because it's lunchtime. This is called um, 6.30 PM, the barrel and keg food cart Thursday. If cooking is an act of love, then what is eating? Love contained in thick iced onions. Love expressed in a fresh brioche bun, halved and toasted on the grill in rendered butter. Love exposed in lettuce, washed and shaped. Love enclosed through, yes, a formed patty. Love in all these things may not be enough. The perfect hamburger does not spontaneously appear. It is planned, scheduled, schemed, specifically constructed like the Tower of Babel or the Great Wall of China. And in these wonders of human enterprise, world-altering, in their scope and hubris, in this creative exuberance are the basic elements, the bare necessities of sublime sandwich fabrication, which includes, in measured and specific amounts, sweat, clocks, money, education, practice, supply chain economics, logistics, and zeitgeist. Love paints with a large brush. Love is a house painter. This perfect system formulated from the food cart behind the barrel and keg, I don't even know if it's there anymore, requires details, fine points, specifics, requires choosing the number six liner brush over the Graco airless paint sprayer, how the patty is made, what percent meat and 1% fat, what kind of beef and where does it come from? And what does it eat? And a touch of pork fat and mayo or aioli. And is there bacon? And how is it smoked? And is there pepper? And sharp cheddar cheese. And then there are onions. 
so many layers. If white onions say, I love you, what do red onions say? Or pickled red onions? I can make this and give it to you to sustain you out of love. And because I love you, you can taste it. But I don't have pickled red onions in the house. No one does. And if cooking is love, what is eating? There are technical terms, of course. Sear, mouthfeel, presentation, etc. None of that matters. All of it is important. There are blueprints and caricatures, smooth lined flow charts that draw one element to the next. There are a hundred details, a thousand between the thought and the mouth, conglomerate choices that communicate to the table and to the throat. Supporting this activity is a divine act of commerce. The language of the spatula, it is called skill. From the first bite, you will know if this is heaven you'll know if this is hell or some suspicious purgatorio. When someone says, I love you, don't say I know. Search your feelings. Let your answer play through your teeth, engage every area of your tongue and answer the best you can. With a blush of, of appreciation, with efficient sensitivity, with a bite full of love. The next poet we have for you is Mike Stralo. Mike's novels include The Greening of Ben Brown, a finalist for the Ken Kesey Novel Prize, Henry, a novel of beer and love in the West, Some Assembly Required, nominated for the Arthur C. Clarke Prize in Science Fiction, and his Moby Dick Blues, published by John Hunt Books. He's got children's books, and he is a published poet. Short stories and creative nonfiction in many literary and commercial magazines, such as Orchid, Oregon Quarterly, Southwestern's Cuntbag, and others. Here is Mike Stralo. Hello, City Club. I'm delighted to be here today. Um, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk a little bit about poetry first. We talk about where poetry comes from. Um, for some reason I'm not, all right, I guess I am. Um, well, one of the things of course that poetry does is mate sound and sense. Uh, that's the classic. And the two together is, becomes, and that's why poetry is often referred to as a song or singing and, or bards and bard singing. Uh, poetry works in, in a number of different ways and poetry works as with Mark's poem. A hamburger is never just a hamburger. Um, poetry works by, by indirection. Uh, where my poems come from today, I want to talk about, I, for years at, uh, at Willamette, uh, taught a course called Apocalyptic Literature, uh, Literature of the Apocalypse. And uh, during that time, I kept thinking that every culture has a has a new has a new kind of um, of concept of what the 
what the apocalypse is and what, what it would be. So I thought, how do you how do you actually write about apocalypse, the end the ending of things or the coming together of things? So one of the ways poetry works is sometimes by indirection, as with Marx's Hamburger. Um, and so one of my poems, I thought, well, what, what if you like us turning a sock inside out? What if you um, wrote about apocalypse from a different point of view, from a from uh, from a un totally unexpected point of view. So here's a, here's a short poem that came really out of that out of that class in the apocalypse. It's called Apocalypse. There is no hurry. The wafting of cinnamon along the river, the ripeness of fruit is apparent everywhere at once. All the small animals, cats, rats, dogs, are languidly mating in clusters. There's no hurry. Colored tents pitched on the boulevard, thick steaks and the smallest oysters anyone could remember. Small green birds. And then a deep sucking in through teeth, belief, an exhale painted in air, an eye sloughed out whole, the bright tips of vines like tongues in the cracks of walks, and then done. A friend of mine called that the gentle apocalypse. The apocalypse ought to, ought to have a gentle version. Now, the second poem I'd like to read is uh, <clears throat> not much longer, but it's direct, directly out of 2020. And the title is 2020. Again, the, the important thing is a poem sometimes, for example, um, in, the, in the classic sense of World War, famous World War I poem, a man working with his rifle. Uh, taking it apart and putting the pieces back together turns out to be a love poem. And sometimes a, a poem about love can be a poem about, about war. Where have all the flowers gone? Things like that. Uh, this is a poem too that uses a kind of an indirection. It talks about other things to get at the year just past, 2020. Like a thread come undone from some deep seam, you, you pull it and more appears and, and something else comes unstitched deep in the garment, but you can't stop now. Your curiosity's up as to what consequences and shape is shifting as the stitching gives. The cosmic cocktail is proving as complex as we expected, most of us anyway. We knew there would be surprises. Of course, atomic bomb, <clears throat> a Ferrari, the hill tribes come down to run the show a while, six-legged calf, oxycodone. Looking back, we should have expected 2020's slur. The book of Revelation did it best, the best it could, popping the seals, sounding the horns, introducing the beasts, but who knew what might have been added? Beached whales? Smoke thick skies, masked hordes afoot in night videos, waves eating coastlines in endless ravenous slurps. Sirens fade. There is the in the silence of waiting for the next breath, the refilling of winter lungs before the snowman stands empty and coal-eyed in the landscape of wayfarers. Far away, a sibilant chanting rises, then louder, and louder until we all join in, hissing to drive the year out like that tomcat that comes to pee in our zinnias again. Well, thank you. I'd like to introduce Jean Kendrick. 
Jean is, a, is re emerging on the poetry scene. Jean has, uh, brings life to words with her sharp mind and her sardonic wit. She's the author of two poetry collections of Sea and Sky and Musings of a Muddled Mind, as well as two alphabet coloring books, an animal book and a musical book. She combines coloring pages with little limericks and creative couplets. And as a member of Poetics Corvallis and now the Salem Poetry Project, Jean has been the featured reader over several times. As a teacher, Jean likes to weave lessons in her, into her poetry. For example, concepts steeped in rhyme are remembered most of the time. Jean Kendrick. Good afternoon, everyone. And as Mike pointed out, I am a teacher, a teacher in 2020, feeling like my myriad of experiences have not amounted on much more than a hill of beans, as one would say, um, right in the middle of classes, and will soon head back to my next classes that are this afternoon. But um, I am so honored to be spending a few minutes of my lunch break with you all. So happy Friday, and let's get right to it. Um, when I was asked to write about 2020 in a few words, I racked my brain for positive words. I tried to think of something that would be uplifting. Um, every cloud has a silver lining and I wanted to be the silver lining. Instead, I just got rained upon as we are very familiar here in the Valley. So, um, Without further ado, this is the lightest um, ray that I could uh, muster in the year 2020. And I wish I could say it was bright and shiny, shiny but it is uh, in fact a little bit disheartening. So here we go. Oh, say can you see hindsight is 2020. Unprecedented, dominated vocabulary like we've never seen before. Pillars of the community were forced to close their doors. Life as we know it was put on hold. Toilet paper was briefly more valuable than gold. The virus was trending. Its spread was unheeded. The numbers showed we didn't do what was needed. Unemployment skyrocketed and many lives were lost. Those who couldn't afford it yet again assumed the cost. We may have elected blue, but we are still in the red. A rotten fish still stinks, regardless of the head. So again, try to be light and um, settled for dark. So thank you for your time. The next poet I would like to introduce is Marilyn Johnston. She is a talented and accomplished writer. She is the author of the poetry collection, 
before igniting. And I am very privileged to consider her one of my poetry friends. Without further ado, Marilyn Johnston. Unmute. Marilyn, you need to unmute. Yeah, thank you. It's so great to be here today. Thank you very much for the invitation and to be with everyone here. Um, I, I think it's been said before that we uh, writers often write to make sense of things. And that's particularly apropos to these wild times we're in. So I thought I'd read this first. My husband talks about COVID-19 as if he's still on patrol. Anytime going out of base camp, you take your chance with snipers. You take a risk, even all suited up with night gear, thick flak jacket and combat boots, M16 at the ready. It's hard to tell the difference between friend or foe without a scope, how they can trick you and kill you, even someone symptomless, even if you have your helmet in place. Even with masks and gloves, you take a chance with the things you can't see. All suited up, you could take a shot in the neck or an artery hit in the leg, somewhere that's vital. So you cover and lay low, even on base where a rocket can zero in and find you. The fear of friendly fire, the wife and kids come back from the store, infect you without warning and triage will become unreliable once overwhelmed with casualties. And again, it's a matter of luck and fate who lives or dies. Now the helicopters are circling the perimeter of our house and someone has to be in charge, ready to drop the smoke grenades to mark the landing zone. And he's on duty, his restless legs once again waking us as he prepares for an enemy that refuses to show its face. And then my last poem, um, again, is uh, looking back and all the things we've gained and lost during this period of isolation. I went to bed with an unfinished poem in my mouth. Count the days since you walked further than the fence line. Pull open the sliding window. Recall all the times you've made it through alive. Scroll the words, no darlo por sentado. Don't take it for granted with your finger on the cold surface of the glass. Listen for the sound the night makes. Pretend the deer hunkering down beneath the oak tree give you advice about kindness. Write what pains you, then throw it away. Practice what you will say in gratitude in the morning after the long silence when the protracted wait is over. Look up at the pink moon as it rises. Dream as you hear the cry of the wolf in the back field and you wake the poem in the palm of your hands howling for the breath to bathe your face in. And I'd like to introduce with great pleasure the next reader, Mike Schuler. Mike's many attributes include that of being a writer, a literary journal editor, and a retired educator. 
Thank you, Marilyn. Um, as I look back at the year, it's been filled with chaos of different types. I'm sure that we have all experienced that. I write poetry from my experience and that of others. Um, and I, I would today, I'm not going to read poems about chaos and uh, partisanship and illness and those things, except there is one. I'll start with the first poem I wrote this year, Riverboat Reverie. Above the Willamette Queen, at dock on the river bend, near the mouth of Mill Creek, I am transported to another life in a reminiscence not mine, from stories read of other times, from films flashing by, from photographs, from imagined lives of those who stood here seeing crowded boats and skiffs on the wide waterway, hauling farm products and people between the Columbia River and Independence Landing, hearing from downriver a shout and whistle of steam and water lap on gravel bar. That was a poem that I, I wrote in conjunction with a program through Artists in Action, Paint the Town, Write the Town. The next poem is uh, one I'm most interested in, uh, dealing with homeless and those who are mentally ill, which I'm sure we have experienced some of that in their experience. This is Talking to Trees. This is on Commercial Street in South Salem. He pushes his face toward the tree trunk and shouts something incomprehensible to me and perhaps to him. But I understand his tone as I have known people in similar places in life on the street. His cardboard sign leans against a wheel of a shopping cart as he focuses on the ornamental maple at the corner of the parking lot knowing he can loudly speak without fear of rejection or of reprisal. And another time he sits below the sidewalk in a small grove of fir, calmer now, and perhaps finding solace in the shielding of branches, perhaps not unlike parents who give shelter and comfort to a lost son. He makes no eye contact with people passing with packages and lives held tightly to their sweatered chests with thoughts of dinner and families at home awaiting their return from errands and work. Instead, he looks to the limbs curved above and softly mouths words, perhaps believing he will be heard if he whispers them, but when no response occurs, he shouts again his rant to the unyielding bark. And the last poem I'll read is one I actually uh, wrote this morning and uh, uh, inspired by a conversation a friend and I were having this morning and I thought I'd better write it down. Uh, this is titled Middle Ground. 
Between rough of peak and flat of sea, between cold, thin air and heat of desert plain, we meet in a fertile valley of bloom and garden of growth, somewhere between heaven and earth, where we find time to share lives in the comfort that comes when we work and build for a future that contains all of us between the harshness of survival and the shaping needed to adapt to our world. This is the foundation of home, found in soil, embedded on rock, washed in rain and buffeted by wind, made strong by the tempering of our touch and our understanding that we are not alone. Here, between birth and death, in the middle ground of consciousness, between breath and breath, we prepare our fields for harvest and reach for a vision that will sustain us. Thank you. Our next poet will be Ada Molinoff, whom I've known for several years, and we've worked together in some projects associated with the Mid-Valley Poetry Society. I've enjoyed working with her, talking with her, sharing poetry with her. Uh, she's going to be reading poems from a work in progress, which I'm looking forward to with Ada Molinoff. Thank you, Mike. Hello, and thank you to everyone for this gathering. During this year of calamity, looking at visual art felt restful. Ceramic art inspired these three poems. Amphora. Sunlight blazes across the clay, the glaze like red earth perfected. The globe, its tight-fitting lid, rest on weathered wood. Hold close a dark surprise, ashes and memory. This lasting pot, tribute to a temporary life. That poem was a response to an urn made by Corvallis artist, Alan Higginbotham. This poem is for Mill City artist, Mark Hebing, who lost his house and studio in the Beachy Creek fire. Vessel. Under a dark teal glaze, ridges rise in rings, the clay telling its story. The small shoulder, smooth beneath my palm, cupped around its curve, blushes raspberry, waits below auroras, held back by midnight black behind the earth brown rim. The flange stretched wide, the vessel sentinel watching for Bloom's profusion. This last poem is dedicated with gratitude to Salem ceramist, Walter Benzman. Alchemy. The cup I fill with milk 
that will slake my thirst, soothe my hunger. Its smooth lip rests on my lip as my little finger grips the base, its ridges tracing the blue-gray glaze on silky sides of this small cylinder, handmade down the hill by a potter in his home where art rose from his clay and in my kitchen emptiness flows into bounty. Thank you. It's an honor to introduce Clemens Stark, who has been an eminent presence in the Oregon writing community. He's the author of seven books of poetry, including the 2019 collection, Cathedrals and Parking Lots. He received an Oregon Book Award for Poetry, as well as the William Stafford Memorial Poetry Award. With his clear vision and precise language, Clemens Stark brings us into his poems. Thank you, Ada. You're very welcome. So I have four poems to read. I'm glad to be here on this screen with you. The uh, first poem uh, is called En Route, PDX to VIE. So as you, as you know, uh, international airports have three letter codes and uh, PDX, of course, is Portland. V-I-E is Vienna, Austria. En route, PDX to V-I-E. During the flight to Vienna, a gentleman seated across the aisle from me is watching a National Geographic documentary on a small TV screen attached to the back of the seat directly in front of him. A wolf is taking down a caribou. Behind me, a few rows back, a child starts crying inconsolably. We're cruising at 35,000 feet, just off the southern tip of Greenland. Shortly before departure, a telephone message informed me, I have exactly 3.5 years left in the battery life of my pacemaker. So here are some passing thoughts while driving Early Road again. Some of you know Early Road, we're in Polk County, near where I live. Some passing thoughts while driving Early Road again. A house, a barn, a grove of trees, clouds accumulating in the West. How many times did I see this? 
and say these words as I drove Early Road each evening, headed home from work. Wife gone, children grown, retired now, but still in dreams I find myself out on a job site, nailing up batter boards, pulling a string line, putting in footings again. Everywhere now along Early Road, fields of ryegrass and tall fescue, even Christmas tree farms are being converted to filbert orchards. Trump and climate change notwithstanding, maybe there's a future in nuts. Feeding the birds. Undeterred by my presence on the veranda, a single goldfinch bolder than the rest swoops down and perches at a feeder. Feeding the birds is one of my pleasures, like cutting firewood, reading Chekhov, watching baseball or film noir, dozing on the couch in front of the wood stove, daydreaming, looking out at the birds. Why is it lately with that jackass in the White House and the planet in such a perilous state, sometimes these feel more like guilty pleasures, self-indulgences, fiddling while Rome burns. Here's a final poem, a little short poem. Some of you may know a small cafe over in Dallas where I live called Taters Cafe. So this is just called Taters. Country music and bacon are on the menu at Taters Cafe, along with a Denver, a Western, or a Florentine omelet. I go there sometimes when I'm feeling low. It's surprising what a three egg omelet with hash browns and whole wheat toast will do. Thank you. Thank you, Clem, for those poems. And thanks to all of you for, wow, such remarkable work um, and powerful. So, now it comes time for our Q&A uh, part of the program. And we know many of our uh, listeners and viewers are experienced Zoomers by now. And, uh, but I wanna just review how to queue up to ask questions of our speakers. Um, all registered attendees logged in on a computer, pad, any smart device have or should have a raise hand button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. If you have a question to ask one or more of our poets, please click on the button to raise your hand. People will be called on as time permits. Your microphone will be activated when called on, but you must click on your microphone icon to be heard. 
You may also write a question using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. If you are joining us by telephone, please press star nine to raise and lower your hand to ask a question and star six to mute or unmute your phone. Um, and I'm gonna start with the first question actually, and this is to all of you. Um, what in, inspires you to write? For instance, we gave a theme of 2020 um, for this program, but um, does that limit you in your thought? Does that make it harder to write poetry? Um, I'm just curious what inspired you to write, you know, such fabulous poetry, but also different. And Clem, do you want to start with that? Do you want to respond first, Clem? Sure. Well, first of all, I, I would say I, I did not write these poems in response to this reading today. They were all written during the course of the year or even earlier perhaps, but uh, certainly a, a couple of those poems, uh, as was evident, were inspired by my uh, uh, concern with the political situation, um, uh, anger and uh, disgust, uh, frankly. So that serves uh, to, get my, uh, to get my creative process, my creative juices working. That's one, one possibility. Or just you know a a, a, a good uh, three egg omelet at Taters that'll that'll do the same. <laughs> yes, any of the food at Taters will be good inspiration. Ada, do you want to answer that? Um, well, like Clem, uh, I didn't write specifically to the theme, but when I did write one and thought it would apply, I thought to myself, "Oh, this will be good for that reading." Um, what usually happens for me is I get a feeling inside in response to something and then I find myself thinking and saying to myself, oh, that needs to be a poem. And I'll begin working on it um, with um, paper and pen first and eventually get to the computer and revise it. And um, then in terms of the, uh, the formation of my pieces, I will take it to other poets for critique and get feedback about what's working, what isn't working. So, so the piece, even though it started with a very clear feeling, it might get shaped and formed by the external responses. Perfect. Mike Schuler. Oh, as I uh, said when I was reading it, I'm inspired by my experiences, but I know I think poetry. So, and if I don't write it down, it goes away. And so I've been driven over the years to write things down. Even if it's a short phrase, I carry a notebook with me when I go hiking or traveling. I'm inspired by a bird on a fence or uh, a thought of a historical thought uh, when I went to the coast and uh, looking at lighthouses or something like that, I, I not only see the lighthouse, but I see its frame through time. And several of my poems are, are, are like that. They, they look back and forward in, in time as if we're only here for a short time ourselves. Um, 
but but primarily it's it's just the experiences I have and I've been writing basically since I could hold a pencil um, and if it was my escape it was my way of dealing with the chaotic what I perceive as a chaotic world and I think this year uh, I've written uh, uh, numbers of poems and for this presentation I just had to glean sums some that were not rants and I didn't want to, to do something that sounded like uh, uh, ranting about uh, our situation. I, I like uh, a little bit of positive. So I'm inspired by beauty and positive things. I think we're all looking for positives. Uh, Marilyn. I, I think like the others, uh, you know, you might start out with a poem about a flower or the way the clouds are forming, uh, but then you, you write what you need to I work with kids in the prison and I'm always saying just start and one of the things you try to teach in your classes, I think all of us is just keep writing, don't pick your pen up or your pencil because somewhere maybe in the 10th line, you're gonna start writing what you need to. And I think that's what the process I like to use that quick write, but then you keep it going and, uh, and eventually you get to the stuff that you really need to figure out. Terrific, Mark? Yes, thanks. Um, um, like Mike, I uh, wrote a few poems um, on the subject of 2020. And like Mike, many of them turned out to be rants or included the F word too many times to um, responsibly uh, read at a, at a venue like this. <laughs> so so um, a lot of times what I'm trying to do is have a shared experience or some kind of um, um, some kind of communication of, of, of an experience or a thought or an emotion. And because so many of the emotions, thoughts and experiences of 2020 have been kind of on the negative side, it's very difficult to, um, you know, and it's fine to have those negative thoughts and negative emotions and negative poems or whatever, um, and even have some humor about it. But at the same time, uh, you know, um, a lot of times it's it can be a real downer. <laughs> so Mike Stralo. Yeah, um, I wrote one of the poems I wrote for uh, was for an assignment for, for this uh, this event. Um, but I think writing poems is, uh, and I know this is a definition of um, of meditation too, is to just get a hold every day of to, to stop the great ebb and flow and wash of all this stuff happening and to just stop it for a second and use words to, 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 uh, to arrest it, if you will, as this is one of the definitions of meditation too. The, uh, uh, and so the, the, the act of writing the poem means to slow down the world a second and grab a hold of pieces. This is why my poems, the ones I read, were um, operating by, by indirection. What kinds of things like pulling a thread out? You ever start to pull a thread out, and all of a sudden something else comes undone you didn't you didn't want? Uh, always cut those threads off. Don't just keep pulling it because the sleeve falls off eventually. So you, you keep looking for. I do keep looking for those kinds of things. Um, and I think I, I've uh, I have always written poetry. I've always been delighted by. Um, by the, by the silliness and delightfulness of language. And I think this ends up in my poetry all the time. 
Well, terrific. Well, thank you all. And now there's, we've got a question from Ron Ekus. So Ron, you have the floor. And if you can unmute your mic. Uh, I believe I've done so. Can you hear me? Yep. Well, first couple of things without taking too much time. I want to thank the program committee for scheduling something like this because it's a very unique uh, program and it's the kind of thing that uh, a group like City Club can do instead of getting stuck in the normal uh, uh, types of programs that all groups tend to have. Second, I'd like to point out that had I had a hand clap icon available, I would have used it many times. Um, my question is one maybe directed at, at Mark since he's a founder, but my question is whether uh, once the COVID restrictions are over, you intend to uh, begin um, in-person poetry nights again, and if so, what the venue would be and how that fits into a larger picture of your assessment that maybe anyone can answer of the avenues uh, in Oregon in the, and in the local area itself for uh, poets to uh, uh, spread their, their poetry, their ideas, and also to just advance the interest in poetry. Sure. Um, to answer the first part of that question first is, we love the Ike box. Oh, they're great. Uh, I love the love the uh, the physical plant of the place with the stage and everything, and love the people and love the um, you know what the nonprofit that they're working for there. Um, currently, they are not open past I think past five, which means that um, that venue is kind of not open to us. The you know um, once. Uh, the economy opens up, and if that venue um, uh, opens, you know, more towards nine o'clock, because our, our new our normal uh, time period would be between seven and nine usually, uh, with the open mic, and then when there's a there's a in the featured reader, and then you know lots of um, talking and conversations and everything. So um, if, if they open up again after seven o'clock, then you know, we get to have the conversation with them. If they aren't, then we're gonna have to go, and go on the hunt looking for a place that's gonna be open, which is difficult, but we've done it before. Um, so there's that part. The second part of that is um, open mics or poetry events that are in the area. Um, Silverton Poetry Association has an open mic. The Salem Poetry Project has their open mic. Um, the um, uh, open mic possibilities uh, going to a place where there's usually music for an open mic. Done it before. It can be difficult, but you know um, that can be hard. But it's also doable. Uh, and also, um, there's also occasional. Um, uh, places to um, experience poetry locally, and that would be the Salem Poetry Festival, which is going to come back, fingers crossed, in 2021 or 2022. We had to skip it this year. Um, and after that, there's a little bit further out. Um, uh, Clem can talk about um, the 
the uh, Astoria event, and then there's all kinds of stuff going on in Portland all the time. Um, and then also in Eugene and Corvallis, uh, like Gene had, had mentioned. So it's 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 around. Uh, I try to keep a running list of things happening on the on our Facebook page at Salem Poetry Project. Um, we'll just have a kind of a running list of stuff that's going on. Thank yes, you. I, oh, could I just make a brief comment? Absolutely. The, the poetry community is is quite close knit and and large uh, through the valley in in Oregon. Um, uh, I attend several groups uh, or attended several groups in person on a regular basis. Uh, that are now we do by Zoom. I will say that Zoom is um, is almost a more of a personal type of communication than in group. However, we lost about half our participation because of the Zoom format. So I think our memberships in those groups are looking to being able to meet again in person. They may continue Zoom in a more of a personal way, but they're most all the people I know are looking forward to the time uh, when we can meet again uh, eye to eye. I just wanted to uh, add that the Mid Valley Poetry Society meets in Salem um, monthly, and um, that's a, a group that um, talks about poetry issues that sets up a couple of, has set up in the past, a couple of in-person poetry in performance events. And uh, it's another way to connect uh, to the uh, local poetry community. One other thought is what Mike Schuler had mentioned, and that is, um, Paint the Town, Write the Town. That's been an annual summer event where um, uh, poets can go around to specific places around Salem and begin a poem there. And then when they finish their poem, they can send it to the group. And um, in the past, the Elsinore Gallery has displayed the artwork and the poet poems that come out of that. And also just to mention that at Salem Art Fair, when it, when it can come back, there have been um, uh, uh, events and uh, places where poets are reading. Thank you for that. And now a question from Jan Margosian, who's posted it in writing. Are poets' brains hardwired to see the world differently from those of us who, are, who aren't? who aren't poets. And I don't know if one or more of you want to take that, but feel free. Mike, I think you said you thought in poetry, which is maybe a little different than some of us. Anyone want to take that? I can. Good. Um, I would say that, that the premise of the question is a little bit you might want to think about it this way. When I was in when I when I was in kindergarten and you were in kindergarten in first grade, and your teacher said, you know, who who here is an artist? Who here likes to draw and paint? Uh, everyone puts their hand up. Uh, it's the same thing with poetry and writing, or anything. Um, at some point, uh, in middle school or in high school, we decided that that's something that we weren't. Um, but really all it is, is like anything else, it's uh, practice. Um, writers write, painters paint, drawers draw, um, musicians play music. 
Uh, and some of them, some people are better than others, but that doesn't really matter. All that really matters is that you're, you know, using those parts of your brain that would apply. So I would say that would be the case is that, is that there's nothing really magical going on here. It's just a lot of practice. I'd like to expand just a little on what Mark said. The, uh, I think too, I've watched people in lots and lots of meetings doodling and I keep thinking, and the doodles get more elaborate and more elaborate and there are devils coming up out of the smoke and all. <laughs> you watch, sit and watch people doodling. And I think they're writing poetry, that they're basically doing the same act, that, that, that poet, the poetic act is an act of making stuff. I've seen people sit at a table too and just arrange the thing at the table, put the pen straight, move the, <laughs> move the mat around, put, put the cup in, in a place. And they've written a poem. They've or, organized and ordered their world in a way. And I think that's the essence of poetry. And this, this thing that all of us do and when you write it down and send it out to magazines is, uh, is another manifestation. But I think that poetic act is, uh, is inherent in, in all of us. Okay, thank you for that. And I think we've got time for one more question. And this is from Neil Pearson. You feel a drive to express a thought or feeling. How do you feel after you've finished the poem? Have you scratched the itch you're sati you've satisfied and it disappears? So anyone can take that question to start. I'd like to take a stab at that. Um, I love that question because I think we all ask each other and sometimes I, when you go on conferences, you're always saying, when do you know you're finished with a poem? And we get asked that when we do readings or conferences itself. And I, I think the answer is we are really never finished with a poem. I think all of us can test that, uh, I, I, I'm looking at faces here, that we could have something published and wish we had changed it. Um, it, it just, um, so, so the itch is there, we've, we've scratched the surface, but we're never really finished because it's, it's a product of, um, it, it's a whole process of continuing to look and observe and to refine and to edit. And it seems like the whole thing is an embodiment of where we are satisfied. And, and I think as, as poets, often that is like, we can wake up a day and say, oh, yeah, I wish it said it this way. Or I wish I could change that. And so, um, but I love that question because it, it causes us to think about our own work. Great, and Mark? I love that question too, because I've got a completely different uh, way of looking at it than Marilyn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which is for years and years and years, I wanted to be like Mike. I wanted to be a novelist. And I started a lot of novels. I didn't finish any of them. But when I became a copywriter, I realized, hey, I'm kind of a sprinter. I can finish one of these. And so I write, I edit, it's done. I pat myself on the back. I move on to the next thing. Um, and then if I try to do what Marilyn does and go back, you know, for a poem that I looked at, that I wrote a couple years ago, it's kind of like trying to fix a cave painting. <laughs> like, what am I going to try to do with this? This is something obviously wrong with it. I can't, I can't touch it. Um, or I'll ruin it in some way. So, um, but that's just the kind of the way I do it. I just, I just want to add one quick thing. Oh, Mike, were you ready to speak? Well, I'll just say one quick thing. I think there is great satisfaction. I, I agree with, with, with both what Marilyn and Mark have said. And also just to add that there's great satisfaction in the tiny steps 
like I'll be trying to express something and finally think of just the word that captures what I'm trying to say. And there's great satisfaction in that piece. Great, so Mike Schuler, I think you. Oh, no, I'm fine. I am just appreciating those responses because each of them touch me. And I, I know I catalog poems and I'll go back to poems I've written years before and uh, change a word. And I'll think, oh, uh, that's published. Uh, but uh, I think it's a, a, a constant improvement that I do. And, and I know I'll never, I'll never get it. But if I can speak it in a way that touches someone else, then I think I've achieved it. Well, thank you. And I wish we could go on and on and on, but we re reached our limit for time. So I'm afraid I'm, we have to end the program today. I can't thank you enough for your enthusiastic participation in the program. Um, it, um, I'm glad we're on mentioned how pleased he was to have such a program. Um, and we are so pleased to have you and be surrounded by such talented people. So thank you very much. And with that, I'll turn it back to Sharon. Thank you, everyone. That was just a wonderful program. Such a breath of fresh air. And we do appreciate uh, that many of you chose to uh, share more lighthearted uh, program or poems with us. That was uh, much appreciated. Um, I, uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, you know that if you enjoyed today's program, uh, we'd like you to tell your friends about it. We do post information on our Facebook page about what recordings we have. We have a, a video recording and a podcast. Um, and watch for information about our January programs. We will begin with a special program on January 8th where three Oregon Supreme Court justices will talk about the courts during COVID and other timely topics. And check our website for details, or you can wait for us to send your invitation uh, around the last week of December. We hope you will join us. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to um, having a program with you again. Sure, and um, this is Cindy. Can I um, just add a comment? Somebody had asked when the recording would be shown or um, sh the video and audio could be heard and seen. Um, and KMUZ runs uh, our uh, City Club programs two weeks after um, the original date of the program. So two weeks from now, I think they'll run it. And somebody also said, well, it will be covered by the poetry program on KMUZ, which also uh, runs on Fridays. And CCTV carries the broadcast, right, Sharon? Yes. Yes. So um, I just wanted to add that. The schedule that. for the um, uh, uh, CCTV broadcast is on our website. Great. Thanks.